looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Hope everyone's having a good week so far. We've got another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte. Today's guest is a good buddy of mine, Yona Weiss. Yona specializes in cost segregations. I think these are a super, super powerful tool to lessen your tax liability when it comes to real estate, real estate investments. You guys are going to get an immense amount of value from this episode. There's just so much info that we spew out here. Um, hope we didn't throw too much at you. For those guys that do know what cost segregations are and know them pretty well, hopefully we can add to that knowledge that you already have with it. If you guys are enjoying the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, write us a review. That always helps out the show. And if you or someone you know would be a great guest for this show, I've been getting a lot of emails with people suggesting guests. I'd love to hear from them. I'd love to talk from them. I'd like to bring them on the show to give you guys some free value, some free content as well. Enjoy the episode. All right, Yona, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for coming in today. Guys, the guest is Yona Weiss. Uh, he's going to be talking about cost segregations and how that can benefit you in your real estate transactions. Um, Yona, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Thank you very much, Dante. It's a pleasure to be joining you, Yona Weiss. Um, originally from Southern California, so uh, got that West Coast blood in me, but uh, been I mean, was a teacher for about 15 years before getting into real estate about five years ago. And I just love it. You know, I love everything about real estate. I think if you're listening to this, you probably do as well. But one of the things I love the most is just the people involved. I mean, you know, before, before we started the recording here, you mentioned someone that we have, you know, a mutual friend who's just, it's great people, you know, and that's really what it's all about is connecting with those people. And, um, you know, been doing cost segregation for the last three years, working with the largest national company, Madison Specs. Um, so I learned pretty quickly because of my background in teaching and education, I have a, a really honed skill to learn very complicated subjects quickly and be able to teach them and give them over. And so I have the, the benefit of having the real experts who have been doing this for decades on my team, or I'm on their team rather. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> And I'm able to, you know, really find out everything and dig deep into the, all the nitty gritty. So here we are. Maybe we'll get into it. Most definitely. So, Yona, how did you get into real estate? How did you get the bug? Where'd that start? Where'd that come from? You know, it was interesting because I, I didn't really, I loved what I did. I really had a great. Uh, what were you teaching, by the way? As a teacher, I did a lot of different things. Mostly, most of it was actually um, like religious studies. So okay. a lot of it was not even in English, like Hebrew and, and you know, Jewish, Jewish topics that I was teaching in different schools that were uh, from all the way from, you know, young to elementary. And I have six kids myself, so I'm, I'm still learning at that, at that elementary <laughs> level up till uh, postgraduate level. So I'm really the whole spectrum, which is an incredible thing because I mean, literally teaching the same subject. Um, with different depth of matter to different people at different levels, which that's a whole uh, subject for itself. But 
about five years ago, we had some, you know, transformation going on in our family and uh, some health crisis that really kind of pushed me out of my comfort zone was like, okay, I need to find something else beyond the teaching. I love it, but I need to find something. So I, I literally made this calculation in my head and I said, I love learning, but I don't ever want to go back to, you know, find a job or get involved in something that requires me to have any formal education. Okay. I just, I, I went through college, didn't really like it that much um, and love to learn on my own pace and learn by experience and learn by spending time with those people who are experts and are doing it. And just, I absorb it. I'm like, I don't need to go back to school for anything. So what's a, an area of, you know, an industry that I can get into that doesn't require any formal education? That was number one. Number two was, and, and I combined these two you know, to make this formula, how I got to real estate. The second one was what industry is out there that even without a formal education, I could excel and have a huge potential income source from it. And so those two combined was just real estate. And I, and I asked a bunch of friends at the time who had been involved in real estate for years and they were just like, yeah, let's, uh, you know, let's get involved. Let's start doing some just learning really beyond anything. And so I spent uh, almost, you know, the better part of a year with a, a good friend of mine who was a commercial mortgage broker and had, you know, owned his own properties. They have a property management company and just learning from him just side by side, all different ins and outs of, uh, of real estate and commercial real estate specifically. And then did some fix and flips and just kind of got involved in many different ways. Now I'm investing in multifamily properties and doing some uh, larger syndications. So that's, uh, that's a little bit about me. Are you doing a GP or LP side of syndications? So I'm doing the first uh, GP side as we speak. Congratulations. That's awesome. Now we're talking about cost segregation. I'm going to ask the question, what is cost segregation? For someone that's listening, they have no idea what that is. And, and a lot of people that are learning real estate at first glance don't hear about cost segregation. You don't hear about it a lot. So define Absolutely. that for us. What is that? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a really weird name for probably the greatest tax benefit that is out there. And we hear about how, you know, the four pillars of real estate investing, right? The equity and the, you know, appreciation and you know, the tax benefits is one of those. So what's the tax benefits? Depreciation. Depreciate cost segregation is just a very detailed advanced form of depreciation. And so it's a way to break down a property into different components and then take the depreciation of those components in a segregated way so that you can get them faster on. So maybe let's just take a step back and understand what depreciation is. Because mm -hmm. if you're listening to this, you may own properties, you may understand depreciation, but cost segregation is like a whole advanced form. It's like, okay, I may have single families. And that's kind of like people think of it like, okay, single family investing, that's like the basics, right? Right, right. They get to advance and people think they have to like scale up or they have to, you know, to get it to the next stage. The next level is multifamily or, or commercial mm -hmm. and other things. like. So too, depreciation, that's like the basics. And, you know, scaling up from that is conservation, but we'll understand hopefully soon that it's not, it's not so. We really have to understand it from even the basic level. Even people own single family residences have to know about this. It's really important. So depreciation is a tax deduction that the IRS gives you if you buy a property. Okay. So any property besides for your personal residence, you get this tax deduction. Okay, what is this tax deduction depreciation? It is literally the entire value of the property you purchased. You literally get to take that as a tax write-off. Okay, <laughs> that's crazy, right? Oh, but yeah. so let's break that down. Like, why is that, and how does that work? Uh, first of all, it's based on the concept that right things go down 
you know, things go down in value as time goes on. That's what the word depreciation means. So the IRS says, okay, so we're going to give you a tax write-off based on that principle as if every year you're owning this property, it's actually going down in value. Really, it's probably going up in value, right? Yep, it's, it's appreciating. appreciating. It's actually, which real estate is the only, one of the only things in the world that actually by definite, by default is going up in value as time goes on. Yep. It's appreciating intrinsically. Nevertheless, you get this tax deduction as if it were going down in value each year. So how does that work? They take your building, your property, whatever it is, single family, multifamily, whatever. You subtract a certain amount for land. Land is a, a portion that does not depreciate, but the remaining amount, you now spread that Well, let me ask you over. on that real quick. So on the sure. land. So when you're deciphering the difference between land and the actual building value, where do you go to find that info? How do you find out what percentage of the purchase price went towards land versus what percentage went towards the building? And does that vary by market or jurisdiction? That done, that can vary by market, by, by jurisdiction. Typically, there's a few methods to, to come up with that allocation. Um, the most common one is to look at, you know, county property tax records. Oftentimes, people rely on that or... Um, Another way to get that is for uh, a third-party appraisal that will come and appraise the land okay. or, you know, uh, comparisons in the market, sale, sale comps of, of land acquisitions. Uh, so you can kind of figure out what the land value is based on those kind of things. Or the fourth one, which is actually the most common, believe it or not, is just kind of industry standard um, percentages. And so there are many right. accounting firms out there that just take flat 15%, 20% to land, and that's it. And all properties are like that, no matter where they're located. So many different methods to, to do that. Once you've just you know decided what that percentage is, the remaining amount you now take over a 27 and a half year period, you're allowed to take that depreciation deduction, okay? If it's a commercial property, besides for multifamily, it's over a 39 year period. Okay? Now- why does multifamily do you think even those commercial property falls in that residential 27 and a half? Is it because there's residents there? Yeah, because there's residents there. And I guess the the principle is that um, you know, things go down in value, right? So the principle is that there's a useful life. And I guess if people are living in there, right? They're there more often. More wear, yeah, there's more wear and tear. Um, then there might be in a commercial property, which maybe is functioning uh you know, less than uh, right because people aren't residing there, living there, spending time, so less wear and tear. Totally makes sense. I think so. I mean, that's that's my theory. I believe the, you. I, if we want to say it's what it is, <laughs> I think we're going to go with it. <laughs> um, so once we do, so yeah, we're, so you're literally able to take that deduction over that long period of time. So it means every year you get a little bit, um, not a little bit, you know, not insignificant, but approximately yeah. two to three percent of your purchase price. You can take in that uh, every every single year over 27 or 39 year period. That's depreciation. That's what it is. So if you're making, let's say you bought a property for let's say a million dollars. Okay. You subtract a certain amount for land, let's say 15%, just keep round numbers, uh, 850. That's, that's the amount that you can now 850,000 is the amount you could depreciate over 27 and a half year period. Divide that by 27 and a half, you get about $30,000 each year. So that's not insignificant whatsoever. That means that if you make, let's say from this million dollar a property you're making, uh, let's say $60,000 from your net operating income throughout the year. Okay. It means you're making $5,000 uh, of rent, you know, income a month. That means you immediately get to skim off the top $30,000. That's going to reduce your taxable liability. 
Okay. Yeah. You skim that off. You get that deduction. That means you only pay taxes on the remaining 30,000. That's depreciation. That's how it works. Comes cost segregation. Okay. So now we're getting into it. <laughs> how does this work? We're able to, with an engineering based method to determine how things in your property actually depreciate at faster rates. There are certain things like personal property uh, that depreciate on a five-year schedule, not 27 and a half year. And things outside the building like land improvements, like landscaping, pavement, parking lot, you know, fencing, all that stuff depreciates on a 15-year schedule, not So it accelerates the depreciation time. Accelerating the portion of the, exactly. Accelerating the portion of those depreciations to faster life. That means you can literally take, you know, 20 to 30% in most cases for multifamily and you front load 20 to 30% of your depreciate, your overall depreciation deductions, instead of waiting 27 and a half years, you can actually front load that and get that at an accelerated rate. So that's going to increase your cash flow um, extremely. Because think about it like this let's say in our example, where you had a uh, million dollar property, right? And you had $30,000 regular depreciation. Now you've, you know, influxed let's say 20% is going to that five-year property, the personal property, which is like appliances, furniture, cabinets, carpeting, window treatments, like the blinds behind you there, all that stuff, you know, lighting, all that stuff, it has value. It's determined by the engineer how much of that is in there, what the value is applied to those. Now we can take that, let's say that comes out to be 20% of your basis. Now think about that for a second. That's a huge amount that we're talking about, about a hundred, close to $200,000 of extra depreciation over those first five years, okay? So that's an extra $40,000 on top of your regular $30,000 deduction over that first five years. Because we're accelerating this, you can't take the regular 27 and a half year deduction plus the cost segregation, or can you take both? You are. So what we're doing is we're dividing up the depreciation into different schedules. So you'll still have approximately 80% of the 27 and a half year property uh, depreciating every year. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you're going to get 20% of that in our example, front loaded to the first five years. So you're going to get both the 80% of the 27 and a half year period. Now we're getting to some, a lot of math over here, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of the $30,000 of that, you're going to get about 20, 27,000, right? $26,000 of that still every single year. And on top of that, an extra $40,000 over those first five years. So instead of your regular $30,000 deduction, you now have $70,000 deduction approximately over those first five years, which in your, if you're $60,000 income, you've totally wiped out your tax liability. Right. And if someone would do this because instead of waiting for 27 and a half years to get the full deductions, a lot of business plans are, let's say five to 10 years. So they want to take advantage of that upfront. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct, right? When you have the advantage, it's, it's really twofold. It's one, if you have an opportunity not to pay taxes, you take it, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, that's the whole point right? of real estate. It's, it is the strongest uh, tax benefits that you can get in any investment vehicle, known to man. Absolutely. So that's, that's huge. And the second part of that is just like you said, you're not even going to be holding the property for 27. So why not front load that and take it all and take advantage of it while you can. And again, that's increasing your cash flow. And if you think about how that affects your overall, you know, IRR on a property, your overall investment, because the more money you have, the more you can reinvest. Yep. Um, it's, it's just the compound interest of that is just incredible. 
So let me ask you this. Someone that is, has an LOI out on a property, they're doing their due diligence. They contact you. They say, okay, you know, we'd like to set up a cost segregation for this property so we can front load a lot of that depreciation. So therefore the tax liability for ourselves and our investors is next to none or negative, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, how do you estimate a cost for someone like that for a project? I know it's so, going to vary per project, but give us a rough idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one thing that we do um, is we offer a free analysis, which means we will take some data from, you know, about the property and we'll be able to tell because we've done so many of these and we've done over 17,000 um, wow. studies in, in our, you know, in our company's history. So we can already know just from a few data points, like, you know, the square footage of the property, how many units, you know, how old is it? What's the purchase price, et cetera. We'll be able to, to tell um, and give a, pretty rough estimate of the minimum tax benefits you can have. So we'll do that. It usually takes a few days for us to prepare, but we do that as a free service for anyone who's interested. So once you have something under contract, that's a great way to know already ahead of time. If you do a full cost segregation study, which, you know, is a very detailed analysis, a very detailed report, um, you know, involves engineer coming to the property, right? Viewing everything, taking that data and preparing that, you know, new depreciation that is something that everyone should do. I mean, anyone, it doesn't hurt, right? To get something free analysis, right? It doesn't hurt to of look course. at and to educate yourself to see what is the potential that I can get out of this. So let's say like 150 unit, 14 million building, a uh, thousand square feet per unit. Roughly, would you have an idea of a cost of that? Or is that something that you'd have to get a little more info from and you can't really know off the top of your head? Well, you know, for, for myself, I, I, I usually leave it to our engineers to make those uh, okay. estimates, but yeah, typically I'd say for multifamily properties, it's around 20 to 25% on a, on a property like that of, of reallocating to those faster lives. Okay. Awesome. So let's talk about the process. So I, I come to you, I say, okay, Yona, I want to get cost segregation. You do the free analysis. And then what are the next steps? Let's say, okay, Yona, this looks great. Let's go forward with it. Yeah, we'll tell you upfront also what the what the cost involved in something like that is. Um, we have a one-time flat fee. It's not contingent on tax savings. So you may have a million-dollar property. You may have a ten million-dollar property. If it's around the same, you know, size or scope of work within that range, it's going to be pretty much the same cost. So we charge for, you know, in this day and age, between you know four to six thousand dollars or so one-time flat fee. Um, and again, for a hundred, a million dollar property, you're looking at a minimum of a hundred to hundred fifty thousand dollars of tax benefits. So yeah, it's, it's, huge. it's basically a no brainer. It, it is. It really is. And I mean, the the amount you're saving in year one for paying the taxes versus the investment of having you guys do a cost segregation, like you said, is a no brainer. Yeah. So we'll tell you upfront that, and then we will schedule. A, uh, a site tour. So our engineers can come to the property. Nowadays, believe it or not, we're actually doing everything, not everything, but for the most part, everything virtual. Um, so wow. we're doing having our engineers as if they were on site and have a property manager walk them around the property to show them, you know, the units and the, you know, common areas, et cetera. They just do the same exact thing on a video call, right? Nowadays, no one, people aren't traveling as much. No one wants to have a uh, people, strangers coming into their properties, all the social right. distancing, et cetera. So we really took that as, as an advantage and pivoted that, which is streamlined our process much more because it cuts down a tremendous amount of travel time um, for our engineers and we're able to pump out a lot more work that way. Awesome. I love it. Okay. And when you finish the report, like what kind of printout or report, like what is the information that consists on a report like that? So it's a very detailed uh, report you know, somewhere between 80, 90, 100 pages long. 
that literally goes through um, because the consideration it's not a simple method. It's not something that even accountants can do. If you look at the, uh, the IRS has a publication called the cost segregation audit techniques guide. And that's the guide that really governs all of the principles and all the processes of doing a cost segregation. So we follow that to a T and in that there's a list of 13 principles that need to go into a cost segregation study. One of those is there's a whole numbering system. Um, there's a whole nomenclature. There's a whole, you have to have, um, you know, whole methodology, you have to bring tax records, you have to bring court, you know, history to substantiate, you know, where you're getting these findings from. How do you know, you know, that, uh, you know, the light fixtures over here depreciate on a five-year schedule. You actually have to show all of that in every single report. So we have, you know, we have some of that is templated, right? Because we have that stuff goes in there, uh, but according to each property, that's totally different. There's a whole detailed calculation of saying, well, how many window blinds are there? You know, how many units are there? What's the square footage of that? What's the cost of that? And where we get that analysis and then making that calculation to see now I can take that value once I've added it up over a five-year period, what's your overall depreciation going to be? So it's very, very detailed. What about like a hundred percent bonus depreciation or bonus depreciation itself? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. And this, this is probably the greatest thing that happened to real estate investing in the past like half a century is this 100% bonus depreciation. What this is, you know, came about in the tax cuts and jobs act. So um, the tax reform a couple of years ago, they introduced this thing called 100% bonus depreciation, which is once you've done a cost segregation study Mm -hmm. and you have identified how much depreciation is accelerated, meaning how much you can take over that five-year period, how much over that 15-year period, you now have the option to front load the entire amount of that into the first year. So in our so example, everything from the cost segregation? Everything that's exactly, everything we're identifying that's being segregated, oh. <laughs> right? And it literally, and it is mind-blowing. It literally is mind-blowing. You're like, okay, I was taking regular depreciation of 30,000 deduction, Right. Right now, cost segregation, I'm getting about 70,000 deduction, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dollar deduction, next five years. Now it comes cost segregation says, oh, remember that whole $200,000 that you could spread out? You can take that all up front in the first year. Wow. So like, wow. How's so that help with like the returns, huh? $200,000 <laughs> deduction, exactly. Well, you mentioned before in, in passing that what that happens is that will really create, in most cases, a negative what does that mean? A negative, it creates what's called a passive loss. If you have more deductions than you have income, you have created a passive loss. Okay. So let's, let me explain that for a second. Rental property income is considered passive income. Okay. It's a schedule E and it is passive income. So if you have a number of properties, all of the income, you know, kind of lumped together, that's all rental property income. That's all passive income. Depreciation and you know depreciation on steroids, as I like to call it, cost segregation, <laughs> is uh, is a passive deduction. So that gets used to offset your passive income. Okay. So simply put, you know, if you made two hundred thousand dollars, okay, of passive income, and, and you have two hundred thousand dollars of deductions, you've wiped out your passive income. Okay. Right. And so you have no tax liability on that income whatsoever. Now, what happens if you have more deductions than you have income? that is creates a passive loss. If you're not a real estate professional, which means you don't spend the, you or your spouse do not spend the majority of your time in the real estate trader business, you have a regular job, you have a W2 job, you are limited to how much, if any of that passive loss you can use. I'm gonna cut you off there. So you said you or your spouse. So I want something, someone to understand that. I want people to understand that, that 
if, if I'm a doctor and my wife does real estate, we're both going to qualify or vice Correct. versa. So only one of us out of the two have to, and, and you guys that are listening, you need to understand that. So if your wife still wants to work full-time, but you want to do full-time real estate, you can, and you guys will get this qualification, which is huge from a tax standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great, that's, that's, it's a huge benefit, right? Because now, okay, so I need, I need to describe why that's so huge. But once you get that, if you're not a real estate professional, you're limited. You have a passive loss limitation. You can't use any of those extra deductions beyond your passive income, okay? Right. However, if you are a real estate professional, and this is where it gets crazy, you can use those deductions to offset your ordinary income or your spouse's ordinary income. So if you have more deductions than you have income from the passive, you can now use that beyond your passive income to offset ordinary income. Okay. So let's so, give us, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, let's give two different examples of like next to each other. So let's say me as a GP in a syndication, um, I also invest with the limited partners. So I want to take advantage of the uh, passive loss. How does that work for me? So if you are a real estate professional, okay, then you get to take any extra deductions against your ordinary income. If you're not a real estate professional, then you're limited to that. So let's let's just take a real life example, right? You have everyone is make let's say eat two people, right? They're each making a hundred thousand dollars of income from their rental properties, okay? Yep. And they're also each making a hundred thousand dollars of income from other sources, okay? One guy's a W-2 and the other person is a real estate professional making money from his, you know, wholesaling or brokering or, you know, right. fix and flips or whatever it is he's doing. Or even if you're a GP, right? Maybe the acquisition fees, et cetera, right? Yep. All of that is ordinary tax, ordinary income rates. You have 200, you, you know, you get your cost segregation done and I have $200,000 of tax deductions. So both of you, First of all, wipe off the $100,000 from the rental property income. That's totally wiped off. Okay, so you're not paying any taxes on that. The guy who's a passive investor or the W-2 worker, the extra $100,000 does not get lost, but it's limited. You can't use any more of that. This year, it carries forward. You carries can use it next, next year. year. Awesome. Okay, or Huge. any year after that subsequently. So you can, you, you can use it in the future. However, your W-2 job, you're still going to be taxed on that $100,000 at whatever income tax rate you have. Right. The, our friend who's the real estate professional or his spouse is, or her spouse or whatever, you, now you have that extra $100,000 of deductions. You now use that to offset your $100,000 of income from your other sources and you literally pay zero taxes. Wow. So let's say, let's go to that real estate professional. Let's say he only makes $50,000 through uh, you know, his real estate professional outside of the investment. Now let's say he has 50,000 of deductions or depreciation, we'll say depreciation, not deductions, that's different, yeah, left over. What does he do with that other 50? Does that get kicked to the next year to go towards the investment and his income and it keeps getting kicked down the road? Yeah, any passive losses that are not used this year get carried forward and gets kicked down you know, to the next year. It carries forward until you use it up. That's awesome, isn't that just insane? <laughs> it's incredible. How it is. You just, you can't fathom it. So now let's hit. So I'm going to hit on the, the last side of cost segregation. And I've got a series of questions I want to ask you about cost segregation. Sure. Depreciation recapture, what no one really talks about. So let's, why don't you define that for the listeners and let's talk about how that looks in a real world deal. 
Absolutely. So depreciation recapture tax is a tax that you are subject to when you sell a property, just like you have a capital gains tax you're subject to. If you sell a property, um, you, if you made money on the, you know, on that investment, you are going to be subject to that tax. However, if you are, uh, it is, when you sell that property, you also have to pay depreciation recapture tax, which is a tax on the amount of depreciation that you took over the course of ownership. So let's say, you know, you took $100,000 of depreciation over, you know, the five years or whatever that you held the property, or, you know, if you do bonus depreciation, all of that upfront, whatever, you now have to pay a tax, 25% tax um, on that 100% on that so $100,000. Is it always 25%? Is that the number? It's, it's not always 25%. You know, it's, it's a little complicated. There's two different buckets that depreciation recapture tax goes into, but to simplify things, um, it's usually, you know, especially after a five-year hold, it's pretty much a 25% tax rate. So in, in all in all, basically at the end of the investment, you get to keep 75% of that depreciation you've taken advantage of, and you give a 25% portion of that that you've used back to the government. Is that correct? Basically, so instead of paying your taxes up front, right, you're able to not pay taxes and then down the road be subject to that. But I, I do want to, you know, kind of elaborate on, you know, and I'm very careful to say you're subject to that yeah, tax. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to pay, okay, because there are many strategies in real estate and conservation being a big one that can actually help you to push that down the road even further or eliminate it um, mm-hmm. entirely. Uh, whether in that year or in, in a future year. So that's important to know. For example, one thing is the 1031 exchange, the very common thing people are doing to not only defer their capital gains tax, but you also defer your depreciation recapture tax by doing that. You kick the can down the road even further. Yep. But there are other ways, because this is a tax you're subject to, if you have another property you bought in the same year, um, or other losses that you have in the same year that you sold a property, you can actually use those losses to offset the recapture tax as well, or the capital gains tax if it's beyond uh, your income. So it always losses right from depreciation always first and foremost go to offset the income, and yep. then if you have more beyond that, it can go against the uh, to carry over the depreciation recapture tax or capital gains tax, etc. So there are many different strategies ways to get around this and to move it forward. But yeah, it's definitely important. It's all about the tax planning. And it's really, you know, when I think about real estate investing, and I don't know about our listeners, but I think of real estate investing, I don't think about someone who decides I'm going to buy one property and hold this for 10 years and then buy another property or I'll decide down the road. I think about people who are trying to constantly buy as much property as they are physically or able to, or can find, right. That have the best returns. Because you're always going to be using the tax strategies, the tax advantages from one property. Because as I mentioned before, the depreciation from one property can be used against income from other properties as well. So you may, yes, you may have gotten your depreciation this year. um, And next year, if you buy another property, you get another huge um, you know, boatload of deductions for, for the future year. So again, it's all, I, I always look at it and it's going to be most beneficial for someone who's number one, a real estate professional. Yep. And number two, oh, yeah. that they are in the acquisition mode. And I, because we get towards this end with the depreciation recapture, it gets kind of muddy for people that don't know it too well or are new to real estate investing. So going back to the example, let's say because of cost segregation, we are able to depreciate a hundred thousand. 
And then at, at sale, 25%, we'll say roughly has to get paid back. So we're paying 25,000 back to the government. Does that mean that other 75% or 75,000, we get to, that depreciation doesn't have to get paid back in any form. We're able to take advantage of it, correct? Correct. Well, exactly. Meaning you've, you're only being taxed on that depreciation. So you're not, it's not like some people think it's recapture. You now have to pay it all back. No, it's not. It's That's a, what it's I'm getting tax. at. Some people do think that I hear that. They think, yeah, like, it's recapture. There's no point of it then. <laughs> Why pay it now or later? It doesn't matter. You know, that defeats the whole purpose of the cost segregation or depreciation. Well, well, even, you know, even with that said, it does matter because, um, because you have really the time value of money. And that's a really important mm. part of this, mm-hmm. which is if I have the opportunity to use, and think of it like an interest-free loan in that way, where you know, if I were to offer you an interest-free loan right, for $100,000 this year, and you, in five years from now, you have to pay it back to me. Um, you know, and and uh, you, know, you have to pay it back over installments. But again, interest-free loan, would you take it? Most people would, because especially if they know that they can use their investments and they know how to make money from their investments more than the government. And, you know, the proof of that is, is that when you're buying property, most people are buying that with leverage, meaning they're financing the properties and getting and a lot of people trying to get, you know, seller finance or whatever to put as little money as possible from their own pocket. So, you know, take an issue. And that's, that's, you know, on that premise that depreciation, you would have to pay the entire thing back. Now here you don't. So right. obviously it's, it's even better rates than an interest-free loan. It's actually negative interest. And, and that's what I kind of explain to people too, is like when we're looking at like a syndication or someone's looking to invest, I tell them it's like, okay, so you have all this income from cash flow, Then you get the depreciation, the cost segregation, which shows a, a passive loss. It gets put through the next year. You're not paying any taxes. And then at the sale of the property, you're typically selling at a profit a lot of that profit eats up all of the depreciation recapture. So all that cash flow from those first, you know, three to five years, whatever the business plan is, is free and clear. I mean, that just goes to show again, how powerful this strategy is. Yeah, um, 100%. What, what about, so let's say we do a cost segregation when we initially uh, take over a property, but then let's say we do renovations per unit and we start taking cabinets out, put new ones in, flooring out, new ones in. How does that work with a cost segregation? Now that those items in the property that we depreciated are gone and there's new ones there. How does that look? That's an excellent point. As I mentioned before, the depreciation is established when you buy your property. Okay. Okay. That tax that establishes what your tax basis is, meaning how much you can depreciate over time. And that doesn't change if the property goes up in value. Okay. If you get an appraisal, if you do a refinance, that doesn't change. You're only able to take what the purchase price was, how much money was spent. Okay. Okay. However, when you do renovations mm-hmm. and you put more capital, you put more money into the property, that is all going to be capitalized, it's going to be depreciated. That amount of money spent is not going to be depreciated and you can do the cost segregation on that money spent to see what am I spending? Is it 27 and a half year depreciation? You know, am I replacing windows or the roof or doors which are structural depreciated on 7, 27 and a half or am I replacing things like appliances or flooring or, you know, landscaping, which depreciates on a faster rate. So that's exactly what we do. So you asked a great question. What happens to that flooring, you know, that, that I just threw out, what happens to those appliances that I dump, those actually get written off. meaning you can take them as a write-off, uh, whatever value is left in them and subtract that from your depreciation schedule. And now when you put in new stuff, you add that back in and you can accelerate and bonus depreciate that as well. 
Now, do we talk to you guys about that or does our CPA do that? Or who, who, who keeps track of that? Who controls that with these renovations going on? Because with these value adds that you're typically doing with multifamily, there's a lot of that going on. Yeah. So we do that. Uh, we do that as well. Meaning it's a, it's a follow-up study to the cost irrigation. It's not a full mm. cost irrigation study, um, but it is a supplemental, which means we're looking at the property and we've already taken, we've already allocated right? Things to faster depreciation in all those categories. Now we can just go back in. And once the renovations are done, you know, usually it happens in a subsequent tax year. I mean, some people do it in the same year, but usually it's done in a a subsequent tax year. And therefore you can go and take that stuff depreciation uh, in the next year. Okay. And let's say there's someone listening right now. And I know this because I was this person listening to podcasts when I started real estate investing. Well, should I do this on my two family I have? Should I do this on this three family I have? Is a cost segregation worth it on a smaller unit building, single family, two family, three family? Or is it really fully effective at that 10, 20 plus unit buildings? So it really doesn't have a lot to do with the unit count, but it has much more to do with the purchase price. You know, how much depreciation can we get? Because if you remember, we're talking about how much of that purchase price can I reallocate to a fast rate? So it's a percentage. So if I have a million dollar property, I'm going to get maybe 20% of that $200,000 of extra depreciation. That's great. That's you know well worth it. If I have a $100,000 property, it's going to be maybe $20,000 reallocated. Is it worth it to spend the money um, to get that done? That's really where the question comes in. So for commercial properties, I typically recommend anything purchased for over a half a million dollars. And you know, doesn't, commercial real estate doesn't, it can be single family, it doesn't matter. Any property over that amount, it's a no brainer. I mean, there's so much tax benefit there. It like 10X outweighs whatever you're gonna spend um, to get the segregation done. On single families, we actually do them for much cheaper because they're a lot less work yeah. and we understand them. Um, so if someone has single families, we can actually do those for much cheaper, like a thousand dollars, which means it's gonna still be beneficial even on a smaller property, even with a lower basis. So I I highly recommend, um, and that's why I say it's so important, even if it's not going to be relevant to you right now, right? Maybe you bought, you know, in Indianapolis, like a $30,000 right house. It's probably not Mm going to be beneficial to you, right? But if you learn about this now, you'll know what you have to look forward to. So, you know, when you decide you're going to scale up and get something bigger, you already know you're ahead of the game because you know what advantages you have to look forward to when you do scale up. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. I love that. And I know you can depreciate other things like, let's say you're, uh, you have a wood shop and you're depreciating uh, machinery. You can do things like that. To, um, can you do a cost segregation for something besides real estate? Can you do it in other businesses? Or is it really specialized or geared towards real estate like this? So all, um, you know, really everything that is movable, personal property, or anything can be depreciated. Um, and there are, you know, depreciation for cars and for things like that, but there are different write-offs. It's not exactly cost segregation form because those are straight up, those are straight up depreciation. I mean, if you buy equipment, you can depreciate that, right? You already know, you don't have to do cost segregation because you know exactly what you spent and that you just add that to your taxes as a tax write-off. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- the, the co- complexity of cost segregation is you didn't buy individual equipments. You didn't buy individual, you know, appliances or, you know, things like that. You bought a huge property. And in that is every little tiny detail that now we need to go ahead and kind of reverse engineer and break down into those different depreciation categories, those different depreciation lives. So that's where it becomes more complicated. But yes, there are things that 
certainly depreciate, even though they're not uh, necessarily real estate. Okay. And, and touching real quick back on the repre- depreciation recapture, I can never say that mm-hmm. right the first time ever. Uh, so at the tax rate that it gets taxed at when you uh, have to pay some of that depreciation back or you pay taxes on depreciation, how do you calculate that rate? Is that something that your CPA will do according to where you, you fall or how does that look? Yeah, I mean, there are really, like I said, there's two, two or three different tax rates that that gets taxed at. And it depends on, on, on two things. It depends on how long you've held the property for. And it also depends on whether or not you did the conservation study. Um, it also depends on, um, you know, how basically what your uh, ordinary income tax rate is. So a certain portion of that, depending on how long you held it for, if you held something for less than five years, then a certain portion of that five-year property will actually be taxed at an ordinary income tax recapture rate. Um, There's ways to get around that as well because there's something called partial asset disposition, which allows you to basically write off the value of your assets that you've disposed of, meaning you've sold. You you sold your property that included the appliances, the carpeting. You can actually write that off and say, well, I'm selling it now, so now it has no value. You're not going to have the recapture tax on that amount. But the other rate is it's basically capped at a 25% rate. It can be less depending on what your um, you know, what your capital gains tax rate is and, and other rates beyond that. But yeah, it is something that your accountant should, should know. Awesome. All right. Well, Yona, we're going to switch over to another segment of the show. Is there anything else you want to touch on for cost segregation? I mean, I think we we just overloaded and blew some people's minds <laughs> with this, but of how much of a benefit it can be to them for their investments. There's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot in there. I would say, number one, make sure to, uh, you know, to reach out, have a conversation. If it's something your accountant doesn't even know about and believe it or not, don't be surprised because I talk to accountants all the time. I literally in the past few years talked to well over a thousand accountants, um, whether on at scale uh, by doing webinars and asking poll questions to those uh, accountants, Mm -hmm. which I, I did a number of times or whether in person or whether, you know, they don't know about it. They don't. Right. It's just they simply yeah. put, it's crazy, right? You think about it, well, this has to do with my taxes. How come you don't even know about this, let alone aren't suggesting to do it? They don't. So you have to kind of take the take the ball into your own court and uh, you know, kind of tell them what it is. So if they don't know what I don't be surprised, but do make sure to, uh, to take advantage of this and get that free estimate if you do have a property or you're looking at it. One thing I would, the one thing that I would mention is, you know, when is the best time to do this? You asked, you know, people get it done in the first year, want to get it for the first tax year. But if you've owned a property for a number of years, even a year, even five years, even 10 years, and you never did cost segregation, you can actually get those tax benefits retroactively. You can mm. do a cost segregation this year and catch up whatever accelerated depreciation that you should have taken but didn't in this year. So that's a huge game changer as well. Okay. So one last question, because you keep sparking these questions in my head (laughs) as we do this. Let's say you do a cost segregation. Let's say you own a building for 27 and a half years. Can you do another cost segregation after you take advantage of the full depreciation or is it a one done kind of thing? No. Yeah. So once you have fully depreciated something, that's it. It's done. That's what I figured. Okay. Awesome. Well, we're going to head over to the next section of of the show called the curious cues. I'm going to throw some questions at you that I ask every guest and let's get your answers. All right. Sounds good. First question we have is uh, what's the favorite podcast you enjoy listening to? Favorite podcast, you know, believe it or not, I've been a guest on over 150 podcasts 
and, uh, and, and I'm not a big podcast listener, uh, but you know, I, I would be selfish and, and just mention my own podcast, Weiss Advice, because I, I love that. I love uh, talking to people, interviewing people, and I listen to that. So I'll do that. But I will do one more because there's a great uh, podcast called Multifamily Missteps uh, by a good friend of mine, Jerome Myers. And he interviews multifamily o- owners who talk about, you know, the things that most people don't talk about, about when things went wrong mm. and how it had bad experiences. Because we all hear about, right, all the good stuff, all the wins and everything All like the home that. runs, yeah. So he goes into like great detail and like, well, what happened when that deal messed up or what happened when that property manager messed up or whatever. So that's, that's, a, that's really good to get into the, the dirt. Favorite book you enjoyed reading? I love uh, the Bible. I mean, so that's what I'm going to say. I, I read, you know, you we go. call it the Torah, the first five books of the, and the 24 books of the prophets and the, and the writings. So that's what I'm going to say. Wonderful. I like it. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? The biggest hurdle for me was realizing that you don't have to know everything. Right. He, you know, I'm a teacher by trade and, you know, I love to get into the, get into the, all the details and know everything and understand everything. You just got to jump in. You just mm, got yeah. to don't wait. Don't think you have to know everything. Just jump in. Yeah. That's so true. Favorite non real estate related hobby you enjoy doing. Non real estate related hobby. I love, um, when I can, I uh, do a lot of rollerblading. I used to play hockey when I was a kid, but still do rollerblading. Nice. My kids, my kids love to get on skates and and just roll away around. Very cool. And newbie advice, this advice you give to someone that's looking to get started. Keep learning and be humble enough to realize that you you can learn from all kinds of sources, all kinds of places, and. Make sure to find someone who is a mentor. So this is kind of twofold. Make, find a mentor. Find someone who's been doing what you would like to do. They've been doing it for a long time and have a lot of experience. And just try to add value to them by hanging out with them and seeing how you can help them. Great. Well, Yona, this has been an awesome show. Where can someone get in contact with you or find out more about you uh, if they want to do a cost segregation or even just want to ask you some questions about something you discussed on the show today? Absolutely. The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I'm very active on that platform. Uh, You found me through Instagram, which I'm also active there, but you can go to yonaweiss.com as well, especially there. You can fill out a form to get a free estimate and uh, yeah, happy to make sure if you do send me, uh, if you check me out on LinkedIn, send me a little message that you listened to this podcast. And so I know where you come from. Awesome. Thank you so much, Yona, for being on the show and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.